Welcome to Fireside Nets with Spen and Nick, brought to you by Empire Sports Media. We are your hosts, Spen and Nick, and we start the show with the Nets game against the Timberwolves last night being postponed due to the horrible police shooting and killing of Dante Wright. I'll read the NBA communication statement right here, Nick, so we, we both have it. The National Basketball Association announced today that in light of the tragic events in the Minneapolis area yesterday, tonight's game between the Brooklyn Nets and the Timberwolves at Target Center has been postponed. The decision to postpone was made by the NBA after consultation with the Timberwolves organization and local and state officials. Our thoughts remain with the family and friends of Dante Wright during this difficult time. Minnesota Twins also postponed their game. I believe it was against the Boston Red Sox yesterday. So we did not play the Timberwolves last night, and rightfully so. Good that both teams agreed to postpone the game. Yeah, just really fucked up. Everyone should read about it, educate themselves, spread the word. We live in a fucked up time. We don't have to deep psychologically dive into things. And it's something that me and you will never truly understand, but it's fucked up. People need to know about it. People need to be talking about it. It's irresponsible for us not to bring it up and, and obviously prayers to, to Dante's family. And, and obviously these things keep happening in our country and it's terrible, but you're right. Me and you could never empathize what that's like because we we've never had to experience it firsthand. So educate yourselves. If, if you're Kid white, Asuba is such a cute baby. You see that guy's baby. Yeah. It's listen, if you're white, you have to pay attention. You have to make change and, and, and we have to stand up for minorities stand up for black people and just stop this shit from happening because it's another story every week. Thank God this garnered national attention to the point where NBA and MLB games are being postponed because of these events. And that's a good thing. That means that sports are saying, hold on for a second. We need to pay attention here. So we're not going to entertain you guys for the night. You need to be aware of the situation. All, all for good reason, but let's get to it. All right, so let's move on. Kevin Durant did an interview with Rachel Nichols this week. A lot of decent quotes in there. The big highlight, talking heads are talking about it, was when Kevin Durant answered a question on what drives him. And he said, and once I won a championship with Golden State, I realized that, like, my view on the game is really about development. Like, how good can I be? It's not about, you know, let's go get this championship. I appreciate that stuff, and I want to win to experience that stuff but it's not the end-all be-all of why I play the game. What did you think of these statements by KD, Nick? It's interesting, right? Now, I'm a filmmaker. I'm a writer. Do I want to be the best screenwriter of all time? Absolutely. Do I want to go down uh, uh, in history as writing some of the best original screenplays that get made into movies? Yeah, and, and there's something to be said about wanting to master your craft, be the best in your field, work harder than everybody else. But... Like filmmaking, basketball is a team game. And if you said to me right now, you know, be isolated as the best screenwriter, um, but, but never really a part of a film of a team that's successful or be a part of a movie, maybe you won't be singled out as the best. Maybe you won't be singled out as the hero, but be a part of something bigger than yourself. And now my personal opinion, I would rather be a part of something that involves people I love, that involves people I care about, other talented people. I'm a team guy. Am I going to hate on Durant? for wanting to, to 
have the biggest, most impactful basketball legacy he could have? No. As a Nets fan, is it a, a, a little bit weird and, and a little bit disappointing to hear him say he just wants to be the best and it's not that much about championship when you just built this entire team around him to win a championship? Yeah, at the end of the day, he's still going to work his ass off. His, still, his goal is to win a championship with this team. I don't think he's going to be selfish and try to put up points as opposed to doing what's best for the team and win the game. So semantically, sounded a little off, didn't love it. But, you know, am I super worried this is going to affect the team or his play? No. I think this is a kooky way of him saying, I want to be a perfectionist. Right, He doesn't say here he doesn't want to win. He's just saying that he wants to continue to develop his game. He wants to be the greatest he can possibly be. It's ironic because I've been watching The Last Dance. I'm re-watching it. I watched it you know, a year ago when it came out. I'm, I'm re-watching it now. And listening to Michael Jordan talk about what drove him, it wasn't just winning championships. It was about getting his teammates to the finish line. And I I watch that and I hear what Michael Jordan says. And I think, wow, this guy's the greatest of all time, not only because he performed on the court, because of his mindset night in and night out. Now, I'm not saying that KD isn't a top five player of all time. I'm not saying LeBron isn't a top three player of all time. But the way these guys speak, what, what their mindsets are, what motivates them, I think that's just what separates players slightly. So it was great to see that KD's always trying to get better. He already might be, as Nick Claxton put it, arguably the best basketball player on earth right now. But it's interesting to hear what he said in this interview with Rachel Nichols about developing his game, about you know the end-all, be-all being that development as opposed to, hey, I want to get James Harden, Bruce Brown, Landry Shamit. I want to get these guys to the finish line and win a championship because I want them to experience that. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to put Durant and Jordan in the same sentence. Jordan was the hardest working player in practice. I've never heard once, I don't know for a fact, but I've never heard once someone say nobody works harder than Durant at a Nets practice. I've never heard anybody say Durant is pushing every young guy to work their fucking ass off in practice. I don't know that. Do I love Kevin Durant? Do I think he's arguably the best offensive player in the world right now? Yes. Fully rounded out player. We can talk about that. Um, I think also he's a little jaded by his championship with the Warriors. He didn't have what Jordan or LeBron had where he was the guy, he carried the team. Uh, If it wasn't for him, they wouldn't have had a shot. That Warriors team won before him. We could talk about this all day. Did they necessarily need him? Did it seal the deal that they were going to win? They were the best team in the league? Absolutely. But he has a different perspective of a championship. When you go to the already best team in the league, you pretty much are so expected to win that if you don't, it's a huge failure. You win the championship, you leave, and then there's some aftermath of bitterness from Steve Kerr saying things about how it didn't feel right, about Durant then coming back and talking shit and tweeting like, LMAO, what do you, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, you guys are the best. Like, you know, Draymond said things. Nobody really loved the team. Now, now it's not as special of a championship. So I'll give him, I'll even come to his defense in this, his view of what it's like to be a world champion is a little jaded by the fact that he had a very unique and interesting situation. Would it be different if him and Westbrook won one? Would he have a lot more of an emphasis on winning and team culture? Maybe, but because of his experience, it separates him from a lot of other players. I will say this, and this is not a segment shitting on Kevin Durant by any stretch. This is us nitpicking between him and Michael Jordan or him and LeBron James. There's not really that much to nitpick. What I will say about Kevin Durant is I really appreciate that he's honest in his interviews. He's candid with his responses. 
he can say the cookie cutter, you know, oh, I play to win a championship. That's what I do. He could say that and nobody would, would blink an eye, but he's being honest here. He's telling us the truth. He's saying, look, here's what you guys want me to say. Here's how I actually feel. So I appreciate that honesty. I think that Kyrie is a little bit like that too. They're two guys and, and James Harden to a certain aspect, they're just three guys that speak their heart, speak how they feel in press conferences. They're not going to give boring pedestrian answers. They, they really think in depth on, on how they want to answer questions. So kudos to KD for being honest. Who cares if you ruffle anybody's feathers? Nets fans aren't going to love you any less. I think every Nets fan who heard this interview thought, hmm, okay, nice. Let, let's move on. Absolutely. I'm with you there. And I still, and love to KD. We criticize out of love. And I think we, most of all, we put the team, I think this is me and you, right? We're Brooklyn Nets fans. Yes, we're Kevin Durant fans. Yes, we're James Harden fans, but we're Brooklyn Nets fans. So we always want what's best for the team. So when we criticize individual players, it's no hate. It's all coming from a place of we just want the Nets to be successful, no matter what that takes. Uh, not to mention Kevin Durant can give two fucks what you and I think about him or the Brooklyn. I don't Nets, know, but- dude. I heard he, like he, was hitting us up on his one of his burner accounts and he was like, yo, fireside. Like, and then I won't say what he said because he said something very similar to the Michael Rappaport situation. Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, all right, Nick. Big congratulations to Alize Johnson. Dude, After... say his nickname that I coined. Zay J. Zay J. Yeah, I'm going to call him Alize. Big congrats to Alize. After his second 10 day contract was about to expire. The Nets rewarded Alizé's very consistent hard play over these last two weeks with a three-year, $4 million contract. Yeah, three-year, $4.07 million, I think 400 bonus. Let me see here. Yeah, 400000 guaranteed. I mean, just looking over his numbers, too. I mean, we've talked about it over the last few weeks. This was the first guy, the first guy we didn't know, really know his name, right? We've kind of grabbed a lot of guys from the G League, random names you, ha- you haven't heard much about. Um, and then some shady guys like uh, Andre Roberson for a second, which is questionable there. This was the first move that people questioned that really paid off. I mean, I remember he started his first game uh, getting a double-double, 23-15. and 15. It was a blowout loss. I forget who we were playing, but he came in, provided a spark off the bench. He's talented. He's athletic. He's confident. He plays to his game. He doesn't push boundaries. He doesn't, he doesn't try to do too much, which I think you'll see a lot of these young guys come out here and just try to overplay and what ends up happening is their, their, their numbers that they were hitting in the G League or, or their expectations kind of just completely dip because they're just trying way too hard to be someone they're not. Um, but he jumped in and he's averaging 7.8 points a game, 65% shooting from the field, plus 5.8 rebounds in 13 minutes. Okay, So this dude literally jumps in. He's averaging 8 and 6 in 13 minutes, shooting 65% from the field. That's huge. Uh, his first game was in the blowout loss when the Nets played the Utah Jazz and they didn't have any of the big three. Alex right. Johnson had 23 points on 11 of 15 from the field in his first NBA action ever. Granted, it was in a blowout loss, but he didn't care. He worked harder than everybody on the court that night with the exception of maybe Donovan Mitchell. And that hard work carried over. We saw that in the games he played in that Knicks game. I mean, Alize Johnson was huge. If he doesn't give us the minutes he gives us against New York, we might lose that game. So shout out to him for working his tail off, getting this contract, much deserved. Kudos to Sean Marks and Steve Nash for giving him this deal. The question is, is he even going to see the floor during the playoffs? Is he someone that we can rely on? He is limited offensively. 
He really doesn't have that much of an offensive game. It's more or less he's a hustle player. He can get rebounds. He can play decent defense, and he can hit a few short mid-range floaters. Yeah, he makes smart passes. I, I just want to read this quote um, courtesy of the New York Post about when Alize signed the contract because he just seems like a good-hearted dude. And so the quote reads, when I got here, they just made me feel comfortable in my first game in Utah, just telling me to go out there, play really hard, and play with some energy and be confident. Hearing that from Steve Nash and James Harden, other guys like Jeff Green, these are the guys you grow up playing NBA 2K with. So when you get out there on the floor and you're playing with them, it's dope, end quote. Which is just a really cool line. Like, right, this young kid just looking for some confidence from some legends like Steve Nash. I don't know if I'd say Jeff Green's a legend, but still definitely a veteran known player who's had some solid years. So just just good for Alizé. Seems like a good kid all around. I would say Jeff Green's a legend, and that's what matters. My word over yours. You know, I, I know it's hard to compare these two, uh, but I want to – kind of take a second to think about that Warriors team in the early, uh, uh, you know, 2010s when they started coming up with like a, a Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond. And it was these guys that didn't have insanely, insanely high expectations to play in the league. And they kind of had all these like missing pieces of the puzzle that kind of formed themselves. And I think that's why everyone loved the Warriors, right? Before KD, they weren't just stacking talent they were really building from the ground up it was, it and was so, david lee it was andrew bogut it was leandro barbosa it was sean livingston alfonso mckinney won a ring with them patrick mccall i mean the list goes on and on and on you're talking about a lot of role players that still have jobs in the nba today because of their time with the warriors quinn cook's another one right and so and so the, the parallel i'm trying to draw here is yes the nets brought in a lot a lot of talent but what I think is still nice as a Nets fan is to see that we are still developing young guys. And when we find a diamond in the rough like an Alizé Johnson, still obviously a little too early to tell what he's truly going to become. But it makes you feel good that, like, yes, we do want that immediate championship. Yes, we are building for the near future. But we do have some pieces that might end up becoming huge down the stretch, like an Alizé Johnson, like a Nick Claxton. Um, players that maybe didn't have huge expectations but could really end up being key pieces of this championship team. Tyler Cook, Norvell Pell, both G League guys that had opportunities didn't go their way. Alizé Johnson had the same opportunity as them, and he took advantage of it. So kudos to him. Let's move on, Nick, to some more good news. Spencer Dinwiddie is ahead of schedule for his ACL treatment and could make a return in the playoffs this season. Dinwiddie Instagrammed that news and captioned it, Nothing guaranteed, but now y'all finally see the vision. Now, Spencer Dinwiddie is a huge Marvel fan. So do you think that he's referencing vision from WandaVision in this caption? I hope so. It'd be pretty sick if he was. Uh, this is awesome, dude. I mean, you can't make the shit up, right? Granted, you know, cross your fingers, tap on wood, poo poo poo, whatever you got to say uh, to beat the jinx, but. Ideally, we're looking like everybody should be healthy come playoff time, right? If, if you give Harden as much time as he needs now that Durant's back in there getting warm, if you're telling me Dinwiddie's coming back and we literally have a full, healthy roster of just like the ultimate Nets, I mean, that's a dream. That is a dream. So I don't want to say anything too soon, but it really sounds like something's brewing to just fucking release the Kraken come playoff time. Yeah, it would be crazy if we're able to see Dinwiddie suit up for the playoffs. You then have a lineup of Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Joe Harris, and LaMarcus, LaMarcus Aldridge. Aldridge. Those are your starting five. 
You then have a secondary five of Dinwiddie, Landry Shamit, Bruce Brown, Jeff Green, and Nick Claxton. I'm not even mentioning Tyler Johnson in there, who had Alizé Johnson, who can absolutely steal some minutes. But then you're saying you're 12 deep. Obviously, Choyoza and DeAndre Jordan are kind of an afterthought at this point. Those are 12 guys that I mentioned, Nick, who could be great. Oh, and I said Jeff Green. I'm sorry. Blake Griffin and Jeff Green would be in that second lineup. So you'd have to either bump Bruce Shamit. You'd bump Shamit. You'd bump Shamit. Okay. My point being, you are 12 to 13 guys deep if Dinwiddie's able to come back. Now, obviously, the team has played together for most of the year with the exception of the big three. It would be hard finding Dinwiddie minutes, figuring out how his score first mentality is able to kind of coexist with a lot of those guys in the second unit who do need the ball in their hands. But we've had this conversation a thousand times. Forget about all those preconceived notions about one ball, too many guys need the ball in their hands. We've seen Blake Griffin. We've seen LaMarcus Aldridge. We've seen James Harden. We've seen these guys fit in with the Nets. So there's nothing that could make me think that Dinwiddie's return wouldn't be anything but beneficial for a Brooklyn squad that has definitely had some trouble outside of Kyrie and Harden at the point guard position. Yeah. I mean, dude, think about that second lineup you just said and how many teams starting lineups this year they could beat Blake Griffin, Nick Claxton, Jeff Green, Dinwiddie and Bruce Brown. That is like a ninth or 10th seed in the East right there, that team. So we're dangerous again. Hopes are high if Dinwiddie comes back. Also, just for Dinwiddie's sake, man, he's missing out on the fun. He's watching these guys every night have a blast, and he just wants to go out there and do what he loves. Um, I mean, he's just a tech guy with a jumper, and and I do believe that. He's just a tech guy with a jumper. That's, that's very true, and those are from the words of Spencer Dinwiddie's Twitter. All right, Nick, let's move on to the two games the Nets played this past week. We got to start with this Lakers game. The Nets – were dominated by Los Angeles, 126-101. Very weird game. Kyrie and Dennis Schroeder got into it in the third quarter, beginning of the third. Both players were ejected. Kyrie was very upset with something Schroeder said to him during the game. Apparently, the N-word was used by Schroeder. Kyrie took offense to that. And it led to the Lakers just going on a run in that third quarter. So it ended with the Lakers outscoring the Nets 31 to 19 in the third and then 34 to 24 in the fourth. This was a Lakers team with no LeBron, no AD. After that moment, no Dennis Schroeder, but Andre Drummond dominated us. Ben McLemore from the depths of free agent hell had 17 points on five threes. Drummond, I believe had 20 points and 11 rebounds and the Lakers as a team just shot the ball really well For some reason, the Nets came into the game flat. Yes, they kept it close up until that third quarter, but Durant was on a minutes restriction, 22 points and eight turnovers for KD. What went wrong for this Brooklyn Nets squad, Nick? Just a bad game, dude. I mean, it was just a terrible shooting game. We shot 43% from the field, 18.5% from three. We had 19 turnovers. KD had eight turnovers. And you got guys on the Lakers like Talon Horton Tucker, getting a double-double, 14-11. and 11. You got Andre Jubin double-double, 20-11. and 11. You got Alfonso McKinney, one rebound away from 10-10. and 10. Montrez Howell, two rebounds away from 10-10. and 10. Macklemore, like you said, was 17. It, it was just a bad game, shooting-wise for us. We never seemed to find our rhythm. And the Lakers were just scrappy, hungry, and looked more energized. I don't know. Did we get tired for a second, maybe? We need wake-up games like this. I, I do believe that. I do think you need sometimes to be put in your place by a backup Lakers team to kind of come out firing next game. So 
I'm not super butthurt about it. It was a little bit of a flub. It was fine. It just, we just looked off from the start, you know, nowhere near our usual selves. The only comment I'll make on the Kyrie shooter fight is I like Dennis shooter a lot. I think he's a really scrappy player. Uh, he's the type of guy that if he's not on your team, you don't like, right? He's like a Tyson Chandler or a Marcus Smart, where he's like some freaking intense, nonstop, crazy defender, scrappy, slapping you from every side, getting away probably with some grabs and some tugs and some pulls on the jersey. Um, he's feisty. He, he never runs out of energy. So I think Kyrie was getting super frustrated with just the scrappy play of Shooter. He wouldn't leave him alone. He was chasing him all over the court. So yes, did, did Shooter get away probably with a couple of reach-ins, maybe a couple of harder fouls that they didn't give him because Shooter's a smart, you know, sneaky defender, a smart, sneaky player. He probably got away with some shit. Kyrie just looked like he got really frustrated. And then you see Shooter every time he gets a call, right? Like clapping in his face. He was just trying to get under his skin and he did. So I can't really fault Shooter. Just like I hate Marcus Smart, but I can't really fault him for the things and the benefits that ha- that come from having him on the court for the Celtics. So yes, of course, am I gonna am I gonna say it was stupid? Schroeder probably should have kept his mouth shut. Schroeder shouldn't have said anything stupid. But am I gonna fault Schroeder for being a feisty player? No. In terms of the game itself, uh, bad game. But we have this shit every so often. Who do we like? What was the last blowout we had with our good players? It happened. Uh, it's been a while. And again, Durant's on a minutes restriction. Kyrie was gone in the beginning of the third quarter. I mean, let's not dismiss the fact that Schroeder was having basically a career night before that ejection, Nick. 19 points, three of four from three, seven of 11 from the field. He had four assists. He was probably on his way to a 30-point double-double. I mean, he was playing very well. So it was just bizarre that they lose their hottest player And then that motivated them to go on a run. The other thing I'll say about the game is, you know, the two big buyout acquisitions that the Nets and the Lakers made were LaMarcus Aldridge and Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond dominated the matchup. I mean, there was that highlight where Drummond just bodied Aldridge on offense, got the layup to go and the foul. He looked really good. And LaMarcus, for what it's worth, probably had his weakest game as a net. What I really liked about the post game was Aldridge went on the podium and I don't think anybody expected him to say this. And he pretty much said that loss was on me. I didn't play well on defense at all. I got torched. That's not who I am as a player. And I'm paraphrasing here. I got to be better. I got to be better on defense. I got to be better on offense. I'm going to watch the film. I'm going to, I'm going to work my ass off and I'm going to get back out there and I'm going to put on for my team. And the fact that Aldridge took on that onus I really appreciated that. A lot of guys won't come out after a game like that. Look, Aldridge is is sort of an afterthought. I mean, we probably blame Kyrie and KD more for this loss than we do for Aldridge. Yet Aldridge is the guy coming out and saying, guys, this one's on me. Andre Drummond scored 20 points and had 11 rebounds. That's on me. Blame me. So I really like that mentality, that approach from LMA. And these losses happen, Nick. You can't get your head too down in the dumps. There's 72 games a season. We already have 36 wins, 17 losses. It is what it is. You move on. You know, and you you knew that you didn't come out to this game to play. It's not like you gave your all and you lost. You gave probably 60, 70% and you guys played like shit. No, no, yeah, I mean, it's hard hard to say because, yes, you're right. The Drummond and LaMarcus thing was kind of who are we going to get, Drummond or LaMarcus Aldridge. It's unfair to then pit them against each other in a matchup and say Drummond dominated the matchup. Oh, which a, week, a week later, right? They had only played three or four games. No, but, 
But the, that's not the point. The point is there, first of all, Aldridge is 35. Drummond is 27. Drummond is a better basketball player right now. Second of all, even in Aldridge's prime, he's not a powerhouse five like Drummond is. So pitting them against each other to guard each other is not where they both exceed. That's where Drummond exceeds. Lamarcus Aldridge is a soft floater, fading jump shot. Abdul yeah, Jabbar, but what does that Marcel have to do with man. defense, Nick? Because I don't expect Aldridge to be great defensively against Drummond. He's but, eight years. He's eight years older, slower, and not as strong, and not as good of a rebounder. So, so then, why so did he play say, better defense? Yes, because why, he was being a he was being right. a veteran who was trying to 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 take the responsibility on his team. That's a great move. Am I glad he said that? Absolutely. What does that say? That says I put the team before me. That says I want to let you guys know. Everyone keep working hard because I'm going to work even harder. That's a great veteran move. But with that said, I don't yeah. expect Aldridge to ever stop Drummond. Well, that that scares me, right? Because Andre Drummond, for what it's worth, is maybe a top 15 center in the league. Maybe. Definitely. You put, if you could, we're not going to do it right now, but if you could name 14 pure fives that are better than Drummond, I will bite my toe off. What do you mean pure? Jokic, Vucevic is better. I'm AD, not yes, but I'm AD, saying DeAndre Ayton. But I'm saying uh, Drummond has one job, okay? Drummond is supposed to be the biggest, strongest, scariest dude on the court. Rudy he's supposed Gobert to get the most rebounds. He's supposed to get, and he's supposed to be an offensive board powerhouse. That is not Aldridge's job. So are you saying you come playoffs, you don't have a ton of faith in LaMarcus Aldridge's defense against good centers in the NBA? What I'm saying is that's not going to be what makes or breaks games because we're going to have James Harden, Kyrie, Kevin Durant, who are going to have to supplement you. I mean, let's be real. Every team doesn't perfectly match up with every team. It's where you could outweigh the other team. Okay. Those Warriors teams that won those championships before, even with Durant, they never had a great big man. So when they matched up with the ADs and the Drummonds of the world, they couldn't really match up. They had to rely on the other factors of their game, like the scoring, like passing, like fast break, transition offense. So my point is, am I, can Aldridge guard Drummond one-on-one in the grand scheme of things? No. But are we going to need to rely on him stopping Drummond in order to win a championship? No, because we'll have other factors at play that will hopefully outweigh that matchup. And we have Nick Claxton on the bench, who's a much, probably the best defensive big man on the team and think about this too right if we have Harden, durant kyrie joe harrison and jeff green we go small and we're fucking running house on the lakers they're going to put drummond on the bench because he's not going to be able to keep up on any of those matchups so that could obviously work in our favor as well all right nick let's rewind a little bit back in the week to probably the highest point for the brooklyn nets this past week and that was wednesday april 7th we played the New Orleans Pelicans and we beat the Pelicans 139 to 111. Now, as not great as LaMarcus Aldridge looked on Saturday, he looked elite on Wednesday. 22 points on 8 of 12 from the field. Kyrie Irvin had 24. Kevin Durant didn't see the court. This was his first game back from injury. He did not see the floor until I think midway through the second quarter. And he ended up with 17 points on 5 of 5 from the field. He looked dominant. Joe Harris had 14, Jeff Green with 11, Blake Griffin with 10, and a ferocious throwdown dunk. And Chris Trioza had 12 points and eight assists off the bench, respectively. The Nets looked great in this one. 
They killed the Pelicans from the jump. The game was over at halftime. The Nets scored 43 in the second to the Pelicans 26. And we were able to not only hold Zion Williamson, who's one of the hottest players in the NBA, we held him to 16 points. We also held the Pelicans to 22% from downtown. So Nick, how did we do this? What impressed you in this game? And again, this is basically the Nets at full strength without James Harden. So what did you think? Oh, and Kevin Durant was also on a minutes restriction. I apologize. That's okay. I, I accept your apology. This was his first game back, right? Yes, it was his first game back, Nick. And he had 17, 5, and 7 in 19 minutes, which is pretty fucking impressive. I think he shot 5 for 5 from the field. Uh, this was just an efficient scoring game. Shot 55%, 46 from 3, compared to the Pelicans, 42, 22, like you said. So it was just really – Pelicans also terrible, missed 10 free throws out of, out of 39. Um it was just an efficient scoring game. We really kept our turnovers to a minimum as well. Just kidding. Take that back. I said that before we could look at them. We had a lot of turnovers. This is just a, a very efficient offensive game for us. And the, oh, dude, the Pelicans are a bad team. It, it's hard for me to sit here and say, what did we do differently? We just outscored a terrible team. I mean, look at the Pelicans lineup. They also were missing Brandon Ingram, like you said. So, James Johnson, Zion Williamson, Stephen Adams, Eric Bledsoe, Lonzo Ball, and then an Isaiah Thomas coming off the bench. What do you expect? This is a blowout from the start. Um, what I will say, and this isn't even about the Nets team, Stephen Adams deserves to be on a better team. He deserves to be like some sort of either five or, or, or first or second man off the bench of a playoff contending team because I love Stephen Adams. He is just a, a fighter. He's a tough dude. He does what, like, he is the most unselfish, like, if it comes to me, I'll fucking slam it home. If not, I'm always going to try to get someone open, like, skip pass across the court for three. It's just sad to me that he was such an integral part of that Thunder team for so long, and now he's getting bopped around to a shitty team and just his name's getting swept under the rug. So, yeah, a good win for us, an expected win, probably the same thing you'd say against the Lakers, but the, the kind of turn the tides there against a bad team. One day we're destroying one, one day we're losing to one, but – the only takeaway I had was poor Steven Adams. So I had two takeaways. One, it's so funny to watch Stan Van Gundy's look of disgust when his team is getting the shit kicked out of them. Like every single time the Nets scored, the camera would pan to Stan Van Gundy and his face would look like he just pooped in his pants and now he, he, can't, he, he can't leave the bench because he's got to coach a basketball game. I mean, he looked fucking irked the entire game. And that was awesome. I love it when a guy who's charismatic like Stan Van Gundy is just does not hold back and shows how. And then after the game, I mean, he's like he literally went on the presser and he's like, not a lot to talk about. We were awful in all facets of the game tonight. Ask me what you will, but I'm, I'm going to continue to say we were terrible tonight. So love Stan Van Gundy. Love the fact that he looked that way. The other thing I'll say is these are the types of games that Nets fans really want to see right we get off to a quick lead and then we put our foot on the gas and just go three after three after dunk after assist this is what this team is capable of nick forget if the pelicans are talented or not no matter who we're playing we are capable if our offensive focus is there if our defensive focus is there on blowing teams out even when the playoffs come we can still blow teams out like this so this was extremely fun for Nets fans. This was a great game to watch, um, but we need more of this. We can't have a game like this and then follow that up with the performance we had on Saturday night against the Lakers. You just can't do it. 
who would you have taken if it was that Lakers lineup who beat us uh, on Saturday versus that Pelicans lineup? Probably the Pelicans. Oh, really? Yeah. I would have said I don't, Lakers. I don't think they lock up Zion. No Brandon Ingram. Yeah. No, I still take the Pelicans. I, 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 you know, dude, I was, again, I'm watching the last dance and there's that whole scene where in the 98 season, Jordan's Bulls play the Charlotte Hornets in the second round of the playoffs and BJ Armstrong has that huge game and he beats the Bulls in game two. And he goes, anybody can have their night. That was my night. That was the Lakers on Saturday, dude. You think Ben McElmore is going to take over again in the next <laughs> You think that Andre Drummond is going to be the most offensive dominant big man in the game? I don't think so. You know who the only person more irrelevant than Ben McLemore is? Who? McLemore. McLemore. Dennis Schroeder ain't going for 19 in two quarters of basketball, 19 on 7-11 from the field. I just think the Lakers had one of those nights where they just they hit their shots. And no matter who was out there that night, they were somehow going to beat the Nets. But, no, I don't, I don't put a lot in that game, man. Both teams weren't at full strength. It's a random game in April. We got a – 20-something games left. We got to get to the playoffs healthy. You beat the Pelicans on Wednesday. You lose to the Lakers on Saturday. You move on. Yeah, absolutely. And just to give everybody a quick update on the standings, we are 36-17, and but we are currently sitting behind the 76ers despite being tied with them with our record because I believe they have the tie break over us. So 36-17, and second place in the East, uh, seven and three in our last 10. And who do we have coming up in the future, Spen? We got the 76ers, speaking of the devil, for They're first probably place. going to reschedule, reschedule that Minnesota game. It might be later today while you're listening to this. We'll, 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 see, uh, we'll see later today. Okay, then coming up would be the reschedule of the T-Wolves game. Uh, we got the Sixers, Hornets, and Heat in our next three games. So been a fun season so far. Let's keep it rolling. All right, Nick, quick segment I like to call. True Nets fan alert. There's a picture on Fireside Nets Twitter and Fireside Nets Instagram of a young Spencer Harris standing next to a young Richard Jefferson when I was about 10 years old. It's pretty cool, huh? It's a cool picture. I mean, you're both young, but he's still a lot older than you. You look, you're a child in the photo. Um, Richard Jefferson is so young in that photo, he still has hair on his head. I think he's actually bald in that photo. No, he's got some hair. Okay, it's like five o'clock shadow on its head. That still counts. I guess. No, I'm it's, sure, it's a great sure pick. He'll take it. We, we love RJ now more than anything. He is, uh, he's just the dude. I, it's so fun to hear him com- commentating games now, too, because he's, one, not only great at basketball commentary, but hilarious. Like, he, he could be in, like, a – I could see him doing, like, a LeBron role in um, a comedy movie. Like, like what was LeBron and with Pete Davidson? Uh, what was that? Um, Amy – Amy Schumer, Bill Amy Hader. Schumer yeah, I like I could see it. Richard Jefferson just being like a really funny side character in like one of those movies or a Bateman movie or something like that. Um, just a funny, charismatic, likable dude. Yeah, I mean, everyone who's ever listened to this podcast, they know how much me and Nick love Amy Schumer. I'm sorry, I, I mean, love Richard Jefferson. We love Richard Jefferson. He's our guy. Um, and no, I know we're big, Chuck, we're big Chuck Schumer fans. I know that he's seen that post. I've posted about him before. He's liked it. I'll give him a day or two to like the, the photo, but one of the nicest people who I've ever met, who's a celebrity, who was a professional athlete, took the time out of his day to take a picture with me. And the movie you're referring to, by the way, with Amy Schumer and Bill Hader and LeBron James is train wreck train wreck. I enjoyed that movie. I'm a huge Bill Hader guy. I drink the Haterade. 
you definitely drink the haterade. But yeah, and that's just me proving that I'm a true Nets fan. I've been around the franchise since I was 10 years old. And that's what it's about. So if you have any old pictures with Nets players, with professional athletes, post them, tag Fireside Nets in them, and we'll retweet you. You know what we got to do, Spend somehow? I, we we got to be on that in the Nets game when Ian Eagle does the uh, where Brooklyn at, and it's like someone wearing a, a Nets jersey in a random place. We got to start taking pictures with us wearing Nets jerseys in random places. Even lie about it. Like go to a park or something and tag like Mykonos, Greece. I think it'll, it'll increase our odds. Yeah, or we can just Photoshop our faces onto an existing picture with two brothers wearing Nets gear, and we can do it that way too. That would be really cool. Let's check out Spencer Shanman in Greece wearing an old school Jason Kidd jersey. All right, Nick, any final segments you want to give the listeners? Yeah, I haven't switched it up in a while. I haven't given a, given a silly, fun movie segment, as people out there know. Uh, we love movies on this pod. Besides the Nets, we are crazy movie buffs, Ben and I, and have very similar interests. So, Spen, I had the pleasure of watching two Owen Wilson movies this past weekend. Kind of wow. a throwback. Wow. 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 Owen Wilson. Wow. And so we were all just doing Owen Wilson impressions, went on like a crazy YouTube binge of, of every Owen Wilson line in every movie that he says like, wow, and other weird lines like, he's crazier than like a toad lizard. Like he just says insane things. So I thought this segment is going to be name that Owen Wilson quote. I'm going to be doing my shitty Owen Wilson impression. I'm going to be doing a quote that you should recognize to the best of my ability. And I just want you to name the movie. If you could name the character he plays, that's even better. But tell me the movie that these five Owen Wilson quotes are in. If you can get five of them, if you can get three wows out of five, you win. All right, let's do it. All right, here's the first Owen Wilson quote. I got to say wow before I do these. Wow. I hear words like beauty and handsomeness and incredibly chiseled features. And for me, that's like a vanity of self-absorption that I try to steer clear of. Um, I have no idea. All right. What if I do it in a more like uh, uh, this kind of way? Ready? Like, I hear words like beauty and handsomeness. Yes. Zoolander. And, yes. Who does he play? Hans. Uh, yeah. Is it Hans? Extend it. Extend it. That blank he's so hot hansel hansel yes hansel. that's hansel and zoolander i'll do i'll do the impressions kind of that hansel the he's so hot right now hansel all right here's the next and remember these are gonna be five different movies okay all right here's the next one wow i guess i would have to say jesus he was a carpenter and i just figured if you're gonna follow in someone's footsteps who better than christ you me and dupree no oh what's the movie I'm going to give you a hint. He's talking to Ben Stiller in like a douchey way. The Royal Tenenbaums? No. It's Meet the Parents. Ah, uh, okay. I should have got that one. I've seen Meet the Parents. All right. This is going to this is going to be should be an obvious one here, okay? Okay. I'm one for two by the way. Yeah. I feel like there's a gap between us. It's like I'm a cowboy, you're an Indian. You say wampum, I say money. It's so important. You know, I just think that Shanghai Noon or Shanghai Nights. Shanghai Noon, you got it. Okay. By the way, uh, Dad was throwing out old DVDs, and I told him he can throw out Shanghai Nights. Uh, no, actually, I think I requested to keep that one. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, here's the next one. You're two of three. Wow. You know how they say we only use 10% of our brain? Yeah, that's Wedding Crashers. Next. And, and it's, um, <laughs> oh, God, what's his name in Wedding Crashers? 
John Beckwith. John Beckwith. Okay. Then this is the fifth one. I'm three for four. All right. So you're three for four. I guess you won. Give me the fifth one. (laughs) This one's going to be kind of obvious. But let me do the whole thing. Okay. A dog doesn't care if you're rich or poor, clever or dull, smart or dumb. Give him your heart and he'll give you his. How many people... I never, I never saw the movie, but I know, I know it's Marley and me. Yo, have you ever seen You, Me, and Dupree? Yeah, yeah. Very solid, underrated Owen Wilson movie. That's what, uh, who plays the guy in that movie? Matt Probably Dillon. Kate Hudson, Matt Dillon, Seth Rogen's in it, Michael Douglas. Very underrated cast. Wow. 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 Also, All right, you got four rounds. Got, got his start in the Royal Tenenbaums, by the way. Actually, no, don't try to stump me on, on movie trivia. Him and Wes Anderson right. were buddies, filmmakers together, and right. they did a movie called Bottle Rocket together, which yes. was before the Royal Tenenbaums. It was their last shot at doing something. They both said this is like the last of our fundraising. They had had a bunch of shorts that failed. They put out Bottle Rocket together, and that was their – now that – there's actually now a term coined our Bottle Rocket film. Everyone wants their Bottle Rocket film that puts them on the map. That launched them into legitimacy. But Tenenbaums gave him notoriety, I think. That was, yeah, that was next. And then so was, um, uh, what was the one where it was on the boat with Bill Murray? Oh. Um, the exotic uh, Steve Zissou. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, uh, then, he's also in that movie with Adrian Brody and Jason Schwartzman. Yeah, yeah. No, they... Uh, I mean, him and Wes Anderson, they really came up together and made some, some interesting films. But yeah, man, Owen Wilson, I just watched a movie called Bliss with Owen Wilson and Salma Hayek on Amazon Prime. Uh, I recommend people give it a try. Don't check out the reviews because it kind of got panned, but it's an interesting concept and an interesting film. So going off on a tangent here, you won the Owen Wilson challenge. Very we'll surprised bringing- you didn't use Starsky and Hutch, by the way. That's one of like my favorite Owen Wilson movies. The, all the quotes it was giving me were Huggy Bear quotes. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Snoop Doggy Dog. Uh, all right, but I think that just about does it, Spen. You uh, you passed the challenge and uh, you did it. Yeah, uh, another movie I was very excited for in 2004, The Big Bounce, with him and a ton of other people were in it. Uh, I think that Matt. Let me see The Big Bounce. Now this is going to bother me. Final, final little Owen Wilson thing. Morgan Freeman's in it. Charlie Sheen, Vinnie Jones. And the woman is Sarah Foster and Gary Sinise is in it too. Uh, Willie Nelson, very bad movie. Uh, I remember watching it and hating it. Got 4.9 out of 10 on IMDb, but I kept watching the trailer when I was like 11 years old, thought it was going to be awesome. All right, Nick, that does it for this week of Fireside Nets with Spen and Nick brought to you by Empire Sports Media. Do you have any final words for the listeners? No, I think we kept them too long already with our Owen Wilson tangent. So I'll let you guys go. Appreciate you listening. They're lucky it wasn't a Luke Wilson tangent because that would have been about 10 minutes longer. Wow. All right. That's my Luke Wilson. (laughs) It just sounds like Owen Wilson. All right. Yeah. I'll start a fraternity. Sure, Vince Vaughn. Wow. Hey, baby bro. Or is it older, bro? I'm not sure which one's older. You know, it's actually a great Owen Wilson line at the end uh, Wedding Crashers where he goes to Will Ferrell's house and he's like, wow, you haven't changed a bit. Honestly, I come here and you got the mom and the meatloaf and the, you know what? Yeah, I'll have some meatloaf. You want some meatloaf? Yeah. He's like, ma. Chaz, Chaz Reinhold. All right, Nick. Thank you for joining me once again to do Fireside Nets. Everybody, thank you for listening. 
tune in. I'm sorry. Like, what are you, are you asking? Like I'm joining your podcast. Don't, don't read too much into it. Tune in next week for another episode of Fireside Nets with Spen and Nick. And as always, catch you on the you fire, fire side. Wow. Wow.